Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I'm one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And back when I was in high school, I believe it was my freshman year, I took biology. We had a special project we had to do, and we were given quite a bit of latitude in deciding what we wanted it to be. Well, I decided that I was going to go down to the butcher shop that was right down the street from our house and see if I could get him to save me a cow's eye. And then I would dissect that eye and label all the parts and stuff like that. And the butcher did it for me. He saved me an eye from one of the cow's heads that they used to have delivered. He gave it to me for nothing and I undertook the dissection. Although this is not germane to the episode today, I will tell you that that dissection did not go well. How was I supposed to know that a cow's eye was under a great deal of pressure? I didn't know that. Anyway, when all was said and done, what I did already know had been reaffirmed. The physical eye is a marvelous mechanism. Speaking of the human eye, it is relatively small, not much more than an inch across. And yet think of the vast world that it opens up for us. With it, we see distant horizons, distant heavenly bodies, massive mountains, rolling seas, luscious rainforests, and arid deserts. With the same eye, with microscopic help, we can see minute bodies. As one who has worn glasses since the fourth or fifth grade, I also know that the physical eye can have serious defects, nearsightedness, farsightedness, glaucoma, macular degeneration, or even total blindness. In like manner, the spiritual eye can develop some grave defects as well, and that is the direction I would like to go in for this episode. Let's notice some of the defects that the spiritual eye can develop and what to do about them. First, the Bible speaks of a lustful eye. To avoid this very kind of defect, Job made a covenant with his eyes. In Job 31 and verse 1 we read, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? The marginal reading of gaze at is to look intently, as if to look with desire. It is apparent that Job had made a pledge with himself that he would not allow lust to be aroused in his heart by looking upon a young woman. Our Lord warned of this very defect and told of its consequences in the great Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 verses 27 through 29, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, 
for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Unlike Job, there was a time when David obviously had not made a covenant with his eyes, and we know what happened. He looked upon a beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing herself, and he did not avert his eyes. Consequently, he lusted after her and took steps needed to bring about his desire, and he committed adultery with her. Though he later confessed his sin and was forgiven, the consequences of that sin plagued him throughout the remaining days of his life. Just to show the results of his actions, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, where we'll read verses 7 through 14. The passage says, Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. The one who engages in fornication because of this defect of the spiritual eye and does not seek forgiveness through obedience to the gospel of Christ cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That is exactly what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10. through 10. Therefore, the price that ultimately must be paid, not even talking about possible physical consequences here on earth, is eternal punishment in the company of all the lost forever and ever. Wow! What a dreadful price to pay for the momentary satisfaction of the lustful eye. How about a covetous eye? Here is a real defect of the spiritual eye. Let's consider Lot, the nephew of Abraham, who obviously had not made a wholesome covenant with his eyes. Instead, with covetous desire, he looked upon the rich and fertile valley of the Jordan River. Let's let the Bible tell us about this. Looking at Genesis chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, we find the following. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar, so Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. 
Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly, and sinners against the Lord. When Abraham gave Lot the right to choose the land he wanted, he chose the very best for himself and left the least desirable for his uncle, a man who had given to him a home as if he were a loving, caring father. When Lot in his greed pitched his tent even as far as the wicked city of Sodom, he paid a dear price. He came in rich, he went out empty. He came in with his family, he went out with only two daughters by whom he was deceived into incest. That's Genesis 19. I'll tell you what, my friends, not only is covetousness a sin within itself, it is a bitter spring from which other sins flow. Perhaps you remember Achan from Joshua chapter 7, verse 21. The passage tells us, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver and a bar of gold, fifty shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So here the defect of the covetous eye produced theft, and a whole lot more heartache after that. The defect of covetousness caused the servant of Elijah, Jehazi, to lie to his master and to be struck with leprosy in 2 Kings 5. Think about Judas and the treachery treachery and betrayal that his covetousness brought about. Again, according to 1 Corinthians 6.10, one with the covetous eye will be denied the glorious sights of the heavenly kingdom. But let us also consider the the defect of the hypercritical eye. This one hurts if it happens to be trained on you. Let's go back to the Sermon on the Mount and read verses 1 through 5 of Matthew 7. The Lord said, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The interesting thing about the hypercritical eye, and the Lord points it out here, is that it will very harshly judge someone else, but it sure doesn't want that same type of judgment coming back. Christians must make judgments about the conduct of others. In fact, in John chapter 7 and verse 24, we are exhorted to judge with righteous judgment. However, what is being condemned is the harsh, censorious judgment of the hypercritical eye. Consider the parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. We find that he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Note how ready the Pharisee was to remind God of his own noble character and how ready he was to call God's attention to the despicable tax collector. When thinking about the spiritual defect of the hypercritical eye, I think about several statements that Paul made in Romans chapter 2. In verse 1 he said, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same thing. Skip on down to verse 3 where we find, But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Look at verse 21. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one shall not steal, do you steal? The hypercritical eye is a serious defect indeed. But let's not forget the closed eye, another serious spiritual defect. In Matthew 13, Jesus was quoting from the prophet Isaiah concerning some of the people who had the opportunity to hear him. In verses 13 through 16, he said, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while the seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. Sometimes people just don't want the truth, and when it is set before them, they'll just close their eyes. Let's go over to Matthew 11 and read verses 20 and 22, or 20 through 22. Those verses say, Then he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Why would the Lord say such a thing? Because the citizens of those cities were guilty of closing their eyes to the unassailable evidence that Jesus presented that he was the Son of God, the Messiah. The miracles he did attested to who he was, but not wanting to see, they closed their eyes, spiritually speaking. There is a way to deal with all of these defects of the spiritual eyes, and that is to make a covenant with our eyes to see as Jesus saw. Think about that. Jesus saw the physical needs of humanity and went about alleviating them. He saw the spiritual needs of humanity, great multitudes of souls needing salvation, and he died for us. 
looking at Matthew chapter 9 and considering verses 35 through 38, we find Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I think about Jesus seeing Peter denying him with cursing and lying. But that was not all that Jesus saw. He also saw the great potential of that man and prayed that he might turn and strengthen his brethren. We all know that Peter went on to prove himself a brave, stalwart soldier of the cross. Oh, if we would but see the potential and not just the outward appearances, a lot of the defects of the spiritual eye could be taken care of. Just think, if we made a covenant with our eyes to see only as Jesus saw, we will see the soul-destroying nature of sin and we will hate it. We will see the great worth of every soul and our responsibility to get out into the fields that are white already to harvest. We would be working as hard as we can to take the gospel to the lost if we make a covenant with our eyes to see what Jesus saw. Just some words for you to think about today. Thanks for listening.